Welcome to the Farming Without the Bank podcast, the show with a no BS approach to money. Hosted by a farm strategy expert and authorized IBC practitioner. Join us as we get real and expose the flaws of traditional financial institutions in order to help farmers take control of their finances, create peace of mind, grow their wealth, and leave a legacy. Now, here's your host, Mary Jo Ehrman. Welcome to today's podcast. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate you being here. Today, I want to talk to you about common objections that I am coming across either online, when I talk to people in person, when I'm at a farm show and I hear them, things that my clients are hearing. And I am sure I am not going to hit all of them today, but I am going to talk about eight of them. And these are the most common objections that we get over and over and over and over and over. And the first one is, this one is always kind of funny, because in order to work with me, you have to read the book. I will not meet with you and go through your operation and go through everything that you're doing without you reading the book. Now, I don't do that so I can make a couple dollars on a book. Like, let's be honest. I do that so that you have the groundwork that you need to be in that meeting. I do that so that we can be productive in the hour and a half that we're together and we can talk about strategies. We can answer any questions that you might have from reading the book and verifying exactly how it works. But the book is the tool. And so one of the biggest objections I hear is I don't read. Well, let me tell you, chances are you heard about my book on Facebook and you were reading the news feed in Facebook. Chances are you have a farm magazine or a farm paper that comes to your house and you're reading that. You're researching what kind of cows to buy, what feed to feed them, what kind of tractors to buy, what kind of pickups to buy. Guess what? You're reading that. Just because something has a bound spine and is in the shape of a book does not make it unreadable. That is a mindset. If there is something that you want to learn, it is there. Now, I do have my book in audio form. You can go to my website, you can click on the store, and my book is there in audio. You have to download it. It's not on audible.com, but it is in audio format, and you can listen to it. So there is that option. However, don't tell me that you don't read, because you read. Get over the fact that it's a book. It has more information in that one little book then you are going to get in a bazillion college textbooks. This is not something you're going to learn in your egg econ class. This is not something that you're going to learn in, you know, studies at college for agribusiness, okay? Just pick it up and read it. It's okay to read a book. I can't tell you how many people I have had that have said, Mary Jo, this is the first book I've read since high school, or this is the only book I've read. And oh my gosh, I got through it immediately. 
Or Mary Jo, this is the first book I've read since high school, and you cannot believe how many books I've read since this. Because why? It is different to read something that you want to read versus something that they gave us in high school to read, like How to Kill a Mockingbird and Romeo and Juliet. I really don't care about those things. I do care about stuff that is educational, and those are the things that I like to read on topics I like to read. So chances are, grab the book because you might like to read it. I heard this the other day that, yeah, this is, this is something for people that aren't disciplined. Farming without the bank is for people that are not disciplined. Oh my gosh, quite the contrary. If you're not disciplined, this is not the best option for you. You have to treat the loans on the policy like you were borrowing from a real bank because it's your life insurance company. That loan needs to be paid back. You can't just leave it there forever, okay? So the fact that this is for people that aren't disciplined is a bunch of crap. Talking about talking and advice given by somebody that's never read the book. This is one of the things I read online. And the guy admitted he did not read the book. Well, then why are you even spewing information? Like, I don't, I absolutely do not understand that. And, you know, that's another objection. Uncle John, Aunt Susie, my financial advisor, mom and dad, the neighbor guy, they all said that this isn't, this is the most horrible thing that you can do. Have Uncle John, Aunt Susie, the financial advisor and the neighbor guy ever read the book? Have any of them ever been educated on what we are doing? Have they read my book? Have they read Nelson's book? Have they listened to any podcasts? Have they listened to any YouTube videos? There's so many of us in this industry that are providing such awesome information that it's all out there. But if they've never heard about it and you have, you can expect them to be giving you great advice. I've also heard a lot of people say, well, I've done this before and it doesn't work. You've done it? Have you used a whole life policy or did you use universal life policy? I have a, there's a local accountant and he basically tells all of his clients that I'm wrong. Um, I don't know that he calls me an idiot, so I won't go there, but he tells them that I'm wrong and that this doesn't work because he tried it. Yeah, he tried it with the universal life policy and instead of taking a loan, he took cash value. Uh, clearly had no idea what he was doing, but yet it doesn't work. And so we have a mutual client and he is just baffled by the fact that this is working for her. And she's in 10 years now and he just, he always wants to see her numbers and he can't believe it's working. Well, things work when they're done correctly. And if you don't, if you're talking to people that don't understand it, you're not going to get correct information. And so I always find it very comical how people are scared to read it, but then they go out and ask others their opinion, others of who have not used it or others who have never seen the concept, but everybody is very quick to give their opinion, which I like to call them keyboard warriors because they're out there happy to spit out all the words on the keyboard, but they don't have zero, they have zero knowledge to back it up. Even another agent is a little bit scary to me because an agent that doesn't understand what we're doing cannot understand 
the actual policy. I had a guy just a couple of days ago, he's asking me all these questions about his policy and he sends me illustrations from his financial advisor, five illustrations, all indexed universal or universal life. I'm like, it's, they, they're not even what we're doing. In my book and in Nelson's book, we both talk about no universal life. Why is that even, why are you even sending these? If you've read the book, you should know better than that. That is, I can't even talk to you about them. It's not even the same product. And so because he was looking for cash value growth, instead of the financial advisor educating himself, he said, oh, well, here, let me spit out some UL crap and I'll, I'll let you look at that. And let me tell you, one policy collapsed within 10 years. The other three, he had five of them. I only looked at four. The other three did not even have cash value growth. Zero, zilcho, zero cash value because a guy is in his 60s and there's a 15, there's typically a 15-year surrender charge. So, well, he should have still had cash value growth, but there was zero cash value on the illustrations. So if you're fill, if, if the guy wanted this for cash value growth, where was the agent to do that? Somebody that didn't know what they were doing, but tried to match it rather than just gain the knowledge. So if you're hearing from Uncle John, Aunt Susie, the financial advisor, and everybody else that this is a bad idea, how educated are they? Have they done their due diligence? Something that you need to consider, and you also need to consider, why are you taking advice from somebody that's not a professional? Because A, this leads to the next biggest objection. Well, you're selling it to me and you're the one that's making money. Mm -hmm. I am the one that's selling it to you. I am the one that's teaching you that. So when you need seed or fertilizer or feed, who do you go to? Do you go to somebody that doesn't know anything or do you go to somebody that knows something? If you need soil samples, do you go to an agronomist or do you go to your neighbor guy, right? They all charge you. They're all making money off of you. What does it matter if that is in the form of commission or not? Because whole life pays too much commission. You make too much money. Really, your equipment dealer most likely makes commission. The realtor does. The auctioneer does. The car dealership guy does. And if they're not making commission, they're being paid hourly. Does that matter? What if instead of making $20 an hour in commission, they're making $50 an hour trying to sell you something? Does that make you feel better? Every single, you take your grain to the market and you try to sell that to them. Should they not buy that from you? I mean, come on, you guys, you're selling cows, you're selling sheep and hogs and whatever, you're a salesman. Every single one of us is selling something. If we didn't sell anything, nobody would be buying, right? There would be no need for products as a whole. And so, yes, I am the one that is selling the life insurance. I am the one that is teaching you how to use it. I am the one that is structuring it. I am the one that wrote the book. I am the one that is getting proceeds from the book. Guess what? It's my business. It's what I do. It's what I specialize in. And I am the expert in the farming world 
so that I can help you. I have niched down so that you get the best service. But just because somebody is behind a product of any kind doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust them. I mean, I just went to buy appliances. Who did I ask? The salesman? And I went online and I researched and I asked the guy that would repair them. And even the repairman's going to make money, right? So I could say, well, he told me to get the worst brand because then he could come here and make more money off of me. Like, come on, people. If you really, really want to learn, go to the source and you have the opportunity to walk away, okay? But up until then, those are going to be your experts, even if we make money or not. So we have to look at how many people say, Dave, I'm not, I don't believe Dave Ramsey on how to pay debt off faster because he's trying to sell me his program, right? I mean, nobody says that. Nobody says, well, Dave's just trying to sell me some books, so I'm not going through his program. If there is something worthwhile there, why not do it? Who cares if somebody makes a little money? That's America. That's a blessing of what we have. Each one of you should be making money. Every single one of you should be making money and as much money as you want to make. And we find ways to do that and to help people. Whole life is expensive. It's more expensive than term. Oh, you guys, I started working on this to prove that it's not more expensive. And I've, I've, there's so many variables involved in that statement that it's going to take a long time because I'm going to put that in the form of a blog because I just want everybody to see the numbers that it is not more expensive than term because we have to consider term only goes to age 80, okay? It isn't going to go past 85. So if I have in any term that I ran to compare it, it goes to the end of year 80. And so whole life goes to age 121. So in order to compare apples to apples, you have to have term until age 80. Well, you're still not comparing apples to apples. You're still comparing apples to oranges, right? Well, let me be more specific. If you just say term versus whole life, that's apples and oranges. If you say term to 80 and whole life to age 121, maybe now you've got a Granny Smith apple versus a Gala, right? Like maybe you got a sweet apple versus a sour apple. I mean, at least they're still in the same family. But if you do term to age 80, you're going to have to buy term in your 60s if you start in your 30s. And that gets very, very costly. So if we look at buying whole life from age 35 to age 80, and we look at term from 35 to 80, we actually have less money going out to whole life than we have going to term. As absolute crazy as that sounds, that is exactly how it is. It is 28, just according to my, my numbers that I have here, it's 28 cents on the dollar for whole life, and it's 33 cents on the dollar 
for that term because we had to buy it until we were 80. We had to, at some point, buy term insurance above 60, which is most likely when we're going to pass. So if we're going to do that, the cost of insurance is going to be more expensive. And I'm just guessing at the fact that your health remained the same for that term insurance. We don't know what health is going to be. We know at today, when you write a whole life policy, we know what your health is and we know how much you're going to pay based on your health today. Going forward, even if you become uninsurable, we don't know that for term. So I'm just making some assumptions that your health is always going to remain the same. And the cost of term is more out of pocket when we do that than traditional whole life. The cost of premium out of pocket is more and the cost per dollar of death benefit is more. So term versus whole life until when, right? And compared to what? That is not just a blanket statement. Because whole life goes to 121, the insurance company knows they are going to have to pay a death claim on your life at some point because you will most likely die before age 121. So they have priced the product correctly. Is it more expensive out of pocket in your 30s than term insurance? Yes. But you have, if you're going to compare, you need to be in the same fruit family. So Look at that full picture and don't just assume because some talking head said term is less that that is correct. Look at the numbers, okay? Another common objection that I hear is if I had an extra $30,000 or $100,000 laying around to put into a policy, why would I need this? Well, oh, people, why would you need this? Because Obviously, like this is another thing I've heard from people that have not read the book, right? They see my $30,000 premium. They'll see a $100,000 premium. They're like, why do I need it? Well, number, let's go back to number one, read the book. But number two is uninterrupted compound interest. Control, guarantees. Those are things of why you don't want to use cash because cash is not king, We've already talked about this. I'm sure of it. We did. Cash isn't king. Cash flow is. That's what we talked about. Cash is not king. You have lost opportunity costs. So if you didn't put it in the policy, you have $30,000 that's gone forever. Not No ability to earn 4% plus a dividend. Nothing. So why would you want to do this? So that we have the ability to have uninterrupted compound interest and dividends. And we can still borrow against it and buy whatever it was we were going to buy. So not a legitimate objection. Another one is I'm already farming without the bank. I'm using cash. Cash is not king. We have lost opportunity cost on that cash. As Nelson said, if we finance everything we buy, we either pay somebody else interest or we give up the ability to earn interest. So if you're using cash, you gave up the ability to earn interest. How big is that? What does that look like? It's huge when you start talking about uninterrupted compound interest. It is absolutely gigantic. So use that cash wisely. 
Can we utilize it differently so that we are earning something on it while we use it? Don't just assume that because the bank, the title of the book is Farming Without the Bank, don't just assume that that's what I'm talking about. But again, it's a lot easier to make assumptions and have no idea what I'm talking about than to actually ask, what are you talking about? What is this? Okay, it is not farming with cash. It is farming without the bank. Here's another one. I'm too old or I'm too young. Oh my goodness, especially I'm too old. If I had a penny for every time I heard that, I would not be rich, but I would have quite a nice pile of pennies. (laughs) Oh, the pennies aren't worth crap. If I'm too old, really, you know who I hear that from? 50-year-olds. You are not too old when you're 50. And it's the best when I hear that from 50-year-olds that read my book because I have a whole chapter on it. So no, you're not too old to start. You might be too old at 80 or 85, but you're not too old in your 70s. My oldest client that I wrote a policy on was 77. And it made sense to do so. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always work. But you're not too old in your 50s. In your 70s, we need to look at the numbers and make sure that they make sense. We need to make sure that we have the premium to make the payment. Is the death benefit going to be different? Yep, sure is. It's going to be much different than somebody in their 30s. But cash value is not going to be that much different. In fact, for the first 10 years, you'll have more cash value than if you were in your 30s. So being too old is nothing. Oh, I don't, I have too much debt. Well, we already had that. Do I have, I already had that podcast. Do I need to have all my debt paid off to start this? No, maybe you do have too much debt. I don't know. I'd have to look at your numbers. But in most cases, that is not what's happening. We just have a misutilization of money. You're just not utilizing the money correctly. Okay, I think those are the main objections that I hear. Those are most likely the main objections that you hear. Or maybe there's one more. I I bet there's one more. I bet I hear this a lot too. Well, if this was so great, why isn't anybody else doing it? I don't know. I really don't know. I wish that I knew. I The only thing I can do is go back and blame the market and say, you know what? Government came in in 74 and 78 and the 80s and said, put your money in the stock market. We're getting you out of guaranteed pensions. And now you need to go to the stock market and have an unguaranteed pension and have the risk. And you need to take that risk. And the company's not going to take it anymore. And so this is the place to go because this is what the government says to do. This is what Washington is pushing us to do. Right, So we're, we're about two generations removed from what used to be done. And so we haven't heard about it because our wonderful government schools haven't taught it to us. I taught finance for junior achievement, and even junior achievement did not have this as one of their options. They didn't even talk about annuities. They talked solely about investing in the stock market. They didn't talk about real estate. They didn't talk about any other type of alternative investment on how to create wealth. 
the only way we are being told, the only way our kids are being told, the only people talking online or talking on TV about creating wealth are putting money into the markets. How? I mean, think about it. You turn the TV on and you have a stock market report every single day. Is that what you need? Is that what we need to create wealth? No, we don't. We need something that's guaranteed, has liquidity, has control. Life insurance offers us those things. Nothing else offers us liquidity, control, and guarantees. Nothing. That is why we use a policy. Why it has been lost is because of the market, in my opinion, and because life insurance companies have done horrid jobs at teaching people what they have to offer clients and they don't know what they've got because the insurance companies as well are trying to compete with the market instead of looking at their product and saying, we have the best thing in the, on the planet to use for cash value growth. Okay, people, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that you got something worthy out of this podcast. As always, if you have suggestions for me, if you have comments for me, please leave them. Please email me at maryjo at without the bank. And I am happy to take those suggestions. I'm happy to reply back to you and visit with you. So if there's ever anything that you have a specific question on, just let me know. Otherwise, you have an absolutely fantastic day and um, leave a review. Leave a review. I appreciate them. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Farming Without the Bank podcast. We hope today's episode has inspired you to take control of your finances in new ways. Don't forget to check out our website, farmingwithoutthebank.com, and engage with us on our Facebook page, Farming Without the Bank. Join us next week as we smash more financial myths and empower you to accomplish your financial goals. 